on Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1. Streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, and my guest today is writer-director Meredith Danlock, and we're going to be talking about her brand new movie, State Like Sleep. Welcome to the show, Meredith. Thank you, Jan. So happy to be here. It's great to have you on the show. Tell me a little bit, let's talk a little bit about the title, State Like Sleep. How did the title come about? Because it's such an unusual title. Yeah, um... My, uh, my mom was in the hospital a few years back and, uh, the doctor, the, um, uh, anesthesiologist, uh, referred to, uh, the, the anesthesia as her going into, it was English was his second language. And, um, he referred to the anesthesia as, uh, being a state like sleep. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, colloquially, we would refer to it as a sleep-like state, but state-like sleep uh, just stuck with me and really um, kind of tonally be- really described the state of um, of kind of suspended animation of, of the, like, of, of grief itself, that um, kind of sleepwalking through life um, suspended in that way. So uh, it just stuck with me, and it was... Um, it was the name of the script from day one, and um, it it, uh, it just felt really really true. And you, and, um, let's tell have the if you wouldn't mind, uh, please tell the listeners a little bit about the plot of the film without giving away too much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, well, it's a it's a story about a woman named Catherine who's played by Catherine Watterson, and um, she is the uh, the widow of um, of a Belgian film actor who, a year prior to when the movie takes place, uh, had committed suicide, and um, she gets uh, gets pulled back into Brussels when her mother goes back to uh, pack up their mutual apartment, and um, and falls ill. And during that during that time, she's packing up the apartment. She kind of goes down this rabbit hole, discovering a secret life that he had. And, um, you know, she looks into what he did the last couple of days, goes into his cell phone, looks through his things and, and finds this kind of dubious cast of characters and, um, and builds a case, uh, builds a case that suggests not suicide, but something a little more nefarious. And, um, and that's the setup, but it's really what, what she's really doing is creating a narrative of of his death that is somewhat easier to cope with than the narrative of suicide. I mean, suicide is so inexplicable, and it puts so much, um, so much, so many complicated emotions of of um, of guilt and blame and complicity on the loved ones that are left behind. That it's uh, you know you would rather you would rather have something have happened to the person than. To have had them take their own life, so that's really what the story is about. But there's such a mystery in the story because you really don't know was he murdered or did he really commit suicide, and you kind of leave it uh, open for interpretation, which I I like. I, I like the way that you did that. You were selected uh, by the Sundance Writers Lab uh, for this particular film, so talk a little bit about that experience of working with Sundance because that's quite a coup uh, to be chosen 
uh, yeah, by Sundance really, or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really, really is. Um, you know, I, uh, I applied to the Sundance Writers Lab and I, it was like getting into college, you know, there was, um, I think three or four different, um, different, uh, levels to get through and, you know, um, kind of the, the the, the culling process that they do for their admissions. And, um, at every stage of the way I felt like, well, you know what, this means something, even if I don't make it to the next one, you know, like it means so much that they, that they think the script is good enough. Like that, that, that every step of the way I got this boost of confidence and, um, you know, I think writing, especially writing, uh, you know, your first screenplay, you just don't know if, if it's, is this any good? Um, am, you know, this kind of idea of like, am I doing this the right way? <laughs> and, yes. um, and so getting that, uh, that, that validation at that early stage of the process is really, um, really thrilling. It, 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 it gives you a, a, a new, um, a new kind of motivation, a new, a new blast of energy. So that was really incredible. And then when I finally got the call that I had been accepted, um, it was like a, a kind of a chain of dominoes that, um, one, one thing led to another and, uh, and it was, it really changed my life. It changed my, it changed my life. Um, it changed the course of the movie. It also changed my, um, my understanding of the screenwriting process and the the level of commitment that you really need to to dive deeper into into the initial ideas you know the the um i i you know i have a lot of friends that are screenwriters and we always joke that like when you have your first draft and you type the words the end on the page you're as far from the end as you were when you started <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can imagine. So, yeah, just because it's it's such a um, you know the writing is in the rewriting, and um, you know I I think that going to the lab and having these incredible advisors like Aaron Cressida Wilson or Joan Tewksbury, who um, really really pushed the ideas in the script and really pushed me to dig deeper, um, that that changed my relationship with creativity altogether. How how long was the uh, process of writing the screenplay, and and also um, did the script change a lot from when you first wrote it, and then having gone through the Sundance Writers Lab, had it? I mean, obviously you know it improved, but did it change the initial storyline at all? Um. Yeah, you know, there was always the initial storyline and the the emotional arc was always the same for character uh, Catherine's character, but um but the script changed tremendously. I mean, it went from you know, these kinds of almost scattered ideas um into a real laser focus and um you know, it 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 started kind of telling me what it needed and and every you know every day when i would sit down to write i i had a real um it was almost like i i i just had a real direction with it because it um it was it was changing and it was telling me how it needed to change so yeah it changed tremendously from from the first draft to what was the ultimate uh production draft and how many years did it uh go through that process um, I, my very first draft was in 2012 
and uh, we shot it in 2016. So that's, um, and I think that probably the the draft that we had gotten to in 2015 was very, very similar to, you know, to the draft that we shot, you know, give or take a few, you know, fixes here and there. But um, yeah, I would say that, uh, I would say a, a steady, rigorous three years. Wow, and just intensely working on this script. Did, yeah, when you um, and when you decided to direct it, uh, did you do rewrites um, as you were filming it, or did, did the script stay pretty much as it was, and you didn't change anything? Yeah, during um, during production, we didn't do any revisions. It um, it felt really good, and I I, I didn't have any. Um, I mean, other than you know things that to reflect the the circumstances of the location, you know, like, um, going upstairs, going downstairs, cross, you know, like really, I, I would make little, little changes to the script to reflect our actual location. So it would just be a little more streamlined on the page for the actors and for crew once we got, um, on, on set. But, uh, but, um, but yeah, the, the, it didn't really change other than that. That's that's great. Then you had a really good tight script. You have attracted though an amazing cast. Uh, the lead role uh, is of uh, Catherine is played by Catherine Watterson. Uh, you've got Michael Shannon, who uh, is absolutely it, it's a very different role from Michael Shannon and uh, Luke Evans, who I just absolutely adore. So tell us how you attracted this amazing cast. Oh gosh. Um, I, uh, I, you know, I think it was a combination of, um, of luck. <laughs> um, I think that, I think that for an actor, they really need to be this, a script needs to come to them at the, at the right time and the right place in their life, in their life. Um, and I think that for, um, for each of them, they, they, they saw something interesting in the character, um, and that they responded to and, and, and wanted to, um, dive into. And, um, and we, you know, I, I met Catherine very, very early on in the process. She was actually the second person ever to read the script, like before, before Sundance or anything. Um, and, uh, she had just been cast by T- Paul Thomas Anderson and in Inherent Vice. And um, so she wasn't really well known at that point. This is before Fantastic Beasts and Alien and Inherent Vice. So um, so we had started our our rapport uh, way back then. And then um, and then with uh, Michael Shannon, you know, that was uh, that was a bit different. You know, um, I had seen him on a talk show and he was very charming, very handsome, very unlike the characters that he would typically play. Um, and I remember talking to my casting agent, Mark Bennett, about, about Michael Shannon for the role. And he thought it was, a, you know, he, he, was, he was really excited about that idea. And luckily, um, luckily we had the support of Michael Shannon's agent, Jack Wiggum, and, and – um, and then luckily, you know, there's a lot of barriers to entry to get to uh, a level of cast like that, you know, I, um, and I got lucky with Catherine and then with Mike, his team was, uh, was supportive enough to, to send him the script. And, um, and, um, 
and then once once both of them were officially signed on, then then uh, it's um it's a lot easier to attract this the the supporting cast like like Luke or McKeel because you have such incredible talent um, carrying the movie. And Luke Evans was so completely different in this role. So talk about because he he changed his hair color. So let's talk about that. <laughs> how he transformed himself into this character. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, Luke is one of the most wonderful people I have ever met. You know, um, when he, when he wasn't shooting on his days off from shooting in Toronto, he would go to the children's hospital and, uh, play songs for them. Oh, wow. I mean, That's like you, you, you just can't get a better guy. So Luke, um, called me probably a week before he was supposed to show up on set and he was like, I have this idea. I'm going to, I'm going to bleach my hair for, um, for the character, for the character. I think, I think he would, he would want to do that. And I thought that was an amazing idea. And he wanted to do that because, um, here was this character that was this kind of, um, you know, this, this, uh, this peacock of the, of like nightlife and this, um, this king in his own little underground world. And, um, and Luke thought it would be something that he would, he would want to, he would want to stick out against these dark interior backgrounds and, and be really recognizable from afar and, and have a kind of glow to him. Um, and, uh, that kind of almost like a club kid, uh, bleach blonde hair. And I thought like, that was so smart. That was such a cool way of, um, of externalizing, uh, character and, um, and, you know, it was one of those things that, like, I, from that point on, I was just like, oh, you know, Luke is, Luke is, he, he makes great decisions and he thinks a lot about, about, um, you know, a, a real depth of the character. And, um, I just, I, I loved him. I loved working with him. Oh, yeah. I, I, well, I love them too. I love watching him. Uh, actually, I had a discussion with a friend of mine who we thought the next James Bond should be. We kind of got uh, in an argument because I think it should be Idris Elba, but he, he said, oh, yeah, well, I won't say what he said. Anyhow, <laughs> I love Idris Elba, but and I think it's, we're ready for a, a black, uh, James Bond, but his, 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 uh, I said, so who do you think? And he's English. My friend's English. And I said, so who do you think? And he said, Luke Evans. And I said, yeah, that's a really good choice, too. Oh, yeah. yeah he would yeah. nail it. Totally. He would. He would be yeah. great. So it would be good. Yeah. He just thought Idris Elba, by the time they were to film the next one after this one, that he might be too old for the part. And I said, no, that's age discrimination. <laughs> also, Daniel Craig's no spring chicken. No, he's you know? not. Like- <laughs> he's not. I said, I think, you know, so, but anyhow, it's interesting. Uh, if you are just joining us and just tuning in, you are listening to the Jam Price Show all about movies. And my guest today is writer-director Meredith Danlock, and we're talking about her new movie, State Like Sleep. You've premiered uh, this movie, State Like Sleep, at the Tribeca Film Festival this past spring. Now, that's, again, you know, quite an honor to be accepted at that film festival. What was that like, and what was the process like for you to uh, have your film be shown there? Oh, it was, it was really amazing. You know, Tribeca is such a great festival because the audiences are New Yorkers. Yes. Primarily. (laughs) So you have these very, very smart, um, very discerning crowds that, and, you know, always the questions in, in the Q and A's are really intelligent. And, um, 
and you're you're in New York City, so it's it, you know you go to Sundance and it's like the whole town gets taken over by Sundance. And I love Sundance; it's a it's you know it's an incredible festival. New York, you're in New York, and it's such a it's such a big city that you're still in New York. You still um, it doesn't feel like wh- wherever you go, you're going to see the same people. Um, and and I th- also I love that uh, you know I love De Niro's founding of that festival. You know, having it be this kind of real actors festival is is really lovely. Um, but you know, I think my that was that was the first place a festival premiere is so different because it's the first place you've shown the movie um, in a crowd. So for me, that was totally thrilling and terrifying at the same time because you have no idea what people are going to think of it. Um, and, uh, you know, here's something that you've worked on for years and years and this is, you know, are people going to laugh? Are people going to cry? Like, will people, will people love it as much as I love it? And being in the audience, you know, we were in a big theater and, and here I felt the energy of the crowd on this emotional roller coaster. And, um, it was such a, such a deep, um, honor and thrill. And, um, I, you know, I was, it was almost like I was having an out of body experience, like watching, watching myself watch my movie <laughs> with other people. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, um, but it was, it was really awesome. It was, and, you know, the people from the festival were so lovely. So I had a great time. Oh, that's good. And the response obviously was very good to the film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's great. That's great. I'm, I'm from New York. So I, you know, I, I miss the, the New Yorker, uh, <laughs> New Yorkers <laughs> in the way that we, uh, like to watch movies there. It's a little different than many other places too. See, you also have worked though with some really, and you've worked with, uh, you've done multi-screen tours, visuals for Jay-Z, Beyonce, and John Legend. Can we talk a little bit about that too? <laughs> Yeah, that's rather fascinating. Yeah, so, what's like, it like you know. working with the B and the, and and the Z? <laughs> um, well, I actually never um, worked directly with Jay Z. Um, Beyonce, on the other hand, is very hands on with um, with uh, with the, her creative team. So that was pretty exciting. I mean, not directly, not like all the time, but. Um, you know, her creative team, they've been working together for, for a really long time. And I, I was extremely, I felt extremely privileged to kind of come in and, and do some work with them because they were so tight knit. And, um, but she's, you know, she's a powerhouse. She's everything that you would imagine. She's incredibly, um, disciplined and, uh, generous. And, um, you know, I think that's, they're, they're also, you know, they, they are, they're, actually quite frugal in the way that they, um, they cover a lot of ground with, with, with very little. Um, but yeah, I think that she's such an incredible, uh, such an incredible role model and such a a force of nature. I, I am, I, I am so, so, so proud to have, uh, worked a little bit with her. Yes, I can imagine. I mean, that's what you, that's the impression we all get too. John Legend's one of my favorites though. So what was it like working with him? Um, that was really amazing. So, so that I actually, um, you know, did, did the entire, uh, all of me tour and, um, that came together. I had been, uh, working a bit with Benjamin Milpier, the dancer 
who has a production company. So that project came through Benjamin and, um, and it, uh, it was just like a very organic process because John's music is, is so emotional. And so, um, and, you know, and John had, John had some images that he had sent through that were, that were inspiring, that inspired him for the album, um, all of me. And, um, so I just kind of riffed on those and, and he, um, he either like, you know, he, he vibed off some and not on others. And we just kind of through the process of elimination developed the, um, developed the tour. And, uh, it was a different tour for him because he hadn't, at that point had so, so many kind of bells and whistles on the tour. You know, he had been typically going, you know, just him and a piano. So this was a very different tour. And, um, and it was so great because, uh, um, I guess in the New York show, uh, uh, his wife, Chrissy Teigen, um, was saying it was the best tour that he had done. And she was so like, you know, it was, it was, it's very, it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's exciting to be a part of something that's so big and that touches so many people that, um, you know, you know, that you have a little, a little part of, um, it's, you know, obviously it's his show, it's his music and whatever, you know, you try to build a world that is supportive of someone else's, uh, creative vision. And, you know, I find that I find, working with other artists and, um, and really, really being inspired by other artists is, um, is, is such a, such a cool process for me, you know? So I, I, I feel very lucky to have worked with both of them. Yes. I can imagine that would be just an, again, an amazing experience. Where can people see state like sleep? Ah, um, well, it's available on demand on uh, iTunes and as of January 4th in theaters. Fabulous, fabulous. Now, did you premiere with this uh, movie at Sundance too? Did you, uh, did it show there? No, we premiered at Tribeca, which uh, takes place in April uh, of every year, April, yeah, March, April every year, and Sundance is a bit earlier. So we, we didn't quite make it in time for Sundance. <laughs> That's too Even bad. Though, but I did, I, yeah, and I did develop. I did develop it with the the feature film program at Sundance. But um, so I still there. It's still part of the project in a very deep way. <laughs> and what are you working on now, Meredith? Um, I actually uh, just finished a feature script that I'm very excited about, and um, and am developing a uh, TV series. So. Staying pretty busy, um, writing a lot, and um, you know, hoping to hoping that hoping that the next feature comes together um, easier <laughs> than <stay like> sleep. <laughs> well, hopefully it will. After you've yeah. been through the process, it exactly. should get easier. Yeah. Well, Meredith, thank you so much for being on the show, and I wish you much luck with State Like Sleep. And I know uh, it's a wonderful movie, beautifully shot. Love the score, so I highly recommend. Uh, going to see State Like Sleep. So thank you so much. Thank you, Jan. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Go to The Jan Price Show on Facebook to learn more about upcoming shows. And while you're there, please like my page. And to listen to the Price Movie Minute movie reviews and to listen to archive shows that you may have missed, go to thejampriceshow.com. 
Podcast on Power Talk AM 1460 and FM 101.1. Streaming worldwide on iHeartRadio. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show. The Yozio Theater in downtown Monterey is now open every day, showing independent and foreign films. The Yozio Theater has new concession offerings, including beer, wine, hard cider, and their homemade Lush Slush. You can now schedule private event screenings for community charity events, birthdays, anniversaries, or just a fun gathering of friends. For more information, visit the Ozio Theater online at oziotheater.com. 